Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello, and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to a personal friend of mine, Marie Sutro, about dark obsessions. Welcome, Marie. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So you have created a wonderful psychological thriller that scares the bejesus out of me sometimes. So how did you get started with, and how did you choose the psychological thriller as your first vehicles? Well, it's always been my favorite genre. I was drawn to mysteries in general as a young child. Um, I don't know if you know the series Encyclopedia Brown or as most people know, Nancy Drew, The Hardy Boys. I was always drawn to puzzles. So if it was even something as simple as who stole whom's lunch pail, I was all over that and wanted to figure it out. And for me, the greatest puzzle is the puzzle of the human mind. So psychological thrillers, just that's where my heart is. <laughs> Did you watch uh, scary movies and psychological movies growing up or as an adult? I did, and the the love of mysteries. Uh, when I found Alfred Hitchcock, I just, I mean, he's in, in his own realm to me. There's, there's quite a few other great yes. directors who have come up over the years, but I still go back to things like Rope um, yes. or Suspicion. There's just some of the edge of your seat who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Uh, really, really fabulous stuff. I agree with you. We, I think we saw the same things and read the same things growing up. I know that, you know, within a human mind, there's so many different facets and there's so many things that propel us from point A to point B, whether it's a job or your personal relationship or stuff. So in this particular book, there's a lot of past drama or trauma, not drama, past trauma in both Kate, who is our main character, her personal life and her professional life. Give us a little idea about her past trauma in her personal life. Well, she uh, was one of two children and she had a sister that had a degenerative bone disease. And for those of us that have had to do caregiving in the home, that alone um, can can be a, a beautiful experience because of the amount of bonding you can do with someone, uh, but it also breaks our hearts in millions of ways, in millions of minutes and millions of hours. And um, that profoundly affected her and her sister died at a young age. And the circumstances under which her sister died um, have always made Kate feel that she was responsible in some way for that. And there was, excessive uh, drama in other ways, uh, as often happens in certain families. Um, there was addiction at the parental level and different things. So Kate has a lot from her past to contend with. And while she's a very strong woman, very smart and good at her job, uh, these things plague her internally. Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the wonderful things that I really enjoyed uh, that you've given us a, a bright woman, a strong woman, someone who is, has strong convictions. Um, you know, in life, you run into these people who are willy-nilly and they're all over the road. And then you run into people who are much more driven and they can be the most loving and kind people and still be driven to 
succeeding at what their goal is. And that's something that I really enjoyed about Kate. Uh, I think, you know, like everybody, she questions a few of her motives along the way, but she has a goal and she sticks with it. Is that something that you felt important to give Kate? I did. When I first uh, came up with the character and, you know, in the, in the first book, she really is a rookie detective and she goes up in, against an insidious serial killer. And I thought, who is this person, you know, as authors do, mm -hmm. it, trying to put some flesh on the bone. And I thought, you know, for people who achieve early in life, they do have to be driven. And sometimes um, the reason for that is that they've been raised that way by their parents. They've been given excessive structure and goals and they know how to achieve them. And for some people, they go out and achieve because it's the only way to really keep a foothold in reality, one where they can kind of control the outcome. And for Kate, I think she is a big hearted person. And so her way of going out and contributing and achieving is to help others. And that's that's what, as a reader, that's one of the things that I recognized in her. It was a bit of um, sort of trying to make up for the past, and I don't want to trivialize that, but I do think that in, in real life that happens a lot. You know, you feel like you've missed something or you feel like you're responsible for something, as Kate does in this instance with her sister. Um, then also, because this is your second book in this series, Kate has had some serious past trauma in her professional life. Yes. <laughs> and she goes to this remote area in the state of Washington to work on some things with her mom. And then she sort of gets caught up in something local happening. So uh, I do want to talk to you because you and I have talked personally about um, human trafficking is a figures into this book quite heavily. And you had a conversation with some law enforcement people, maybe even the FBI about human trafficking. Can you share some of the things that you learned from law enforcement in that regards? Well, one of the things when I was coming up with the story and trying to figure out how that would play into it, um, I was doing a lot of research on human trafficking. And one of the difficulties with it is that it's something that kind of happens in the shadows. So it's very hard to figure out um, something you and I have talked about. Uh, how do you find the people who've been brought into the shadows? Usually it's because you discover them and pull them out. Um, but if they're always in the shadows, we don't really know how many are or are not at any given time. So especially in the United States, when you try to look up figures, it's, it's a really hard thing to pin down. And that was one of the reasons why in this book, I decided to deal with international human trafficking. Um, there were quite a few books I had read on the topic um, and, and really where I became interested in the topic was uh, years ago in my corporate life, I had a business trip and had to go to Amsterdam. And as I was flying over, I had a tourist book and I was reading up on, you know, the, the, the place I was going, the city I was going to. And in the book, it talked about how within, you know, there's a percentage of the people that are working in the sex industry there that are trafficked um, through different international mafias and things. And it broke my heart to think about that. Um, any kind of trafficking of human beings, uh, anyone being forced against their will uh, is, is, a, is a horrible, horrible 
I mean, just a, a slap in the face, I think, against who we are as human beings. So I, I, I did want to contend with it, um, but I wanted to contend with it in a way that I felt would do justice to the topic. I And I told you before we started recording you, one of the things that I had done is looked at some statistics and I freely admit that I look through rose-colored glasses at life and try to be a little bit of a Pollyanna every chance I can. And when you start looking at these statistics, they are really quite sobering. And, you know, we hear about these things on the news. There's a, a ring been busted and all. But what we get is the ring's been busted. What you yeah. do is you go through what happens to not only Kate as your main hero, but you also highlight some of the individuals who've been trafficked. And it's I thought that was very well done because it, as a reader, it gave me an idea of what Kate was up against. Rather than Kate telling me, you've chosen to tell me their story from their own eyes. And how how tough was that? And I mean that as a compliment, but how tough is that? I mean, you're writing about some things that break the average person's heart. Uh, how do you write that and how do you come back from writing that? I'll tell you, uh, there is a lot of heartache in it. And it's a question I get often because my, my work does tend to lean towards... Um, confronting issues in the human experience that yeah. are on the darker side. And so, you know, there are times where literally I just voluntarily delete a lot of my search histories because it's so dark for me after I've read it and digested it. I don't want to be reminded of it. Um, and <laughs> it's a very sad world, but, uh, you have to do something to change the channel when that much darkness is in your heart. And when you're trying to process, um, empathetically what other people go through at that level. And so one of the things that I often do is, especially after I've either researched some very heavy topics or I've written them, I will go in and turn on 1980s cartoons and watch them for an hour or two because it's a place I need to go somewhere else after that. And, um, and, and, and I, the worst part is when I say I need to go somewhere else and I, I get to go and watch 1980s cartoons, the, the victims who've been through these crimes, they don't ever get to go somewhere like that. They don't get to walk away. They're going to carry that for the rest of their lives. So uh, for me, it's, it's, an honor to tell those stories and to help other people understand what does actually go on. Um, and I think it's very important for, for people to understand it at that level. And, you know, so what you've done is you've entertained us, which may sound a little odd to the audience because uh, you're writing about dark things, but you have, you've specifically entertained us with Kate and the entire story in Dark Obsessions. But you've also highlighted a part of life that is not pretty, but it's a part of life that does exist. And you and I had, we've had several conversations about your book and about life in general. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is once again, poorer places are exploited. You know, if we look back at uh, 
the opioid addiction and issues in this country. Yes, it does happen in the big city, but it most often happens in the small rural areas. There's a lot of trafficking in small rural areas. There are a lot of disappearances in small rural areas. And not to make fun of any of them, because I grew up in a village of 400 people, so I know about small rural areas. But here in life, um, a segment of the community is screwed over once again. And you do a great honor of honoring that small community, which I will get to in a positive way in a minute, and then bringing that into life. So I really enjoyed reading about the setting as well as just what was going on. Well, thank you. Uh, that was something that was important to me. The first book in the series takes place in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, obviously, it's a huge metropolis. And it's wonderful because there's lots of resources and there's lots of access to things in San Francisco. But for the average citizen, when you hear about crimes, because there's so much, there's so many people and there's so many things going on in San Francisco, it's easy to, to some degree, feel that there is a, um, a cushion, if you will, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there's so many people. When you're in a small town, as you know, your village of 400, <laughs> it, everything is far more visceral because the, the spider web is so tightly connected and um, the, the degrees of separation are so minimal. And that was something that, that was a challenge and it was actually an intentional thing that I did taking Kate out of the city and putting her in a small town because in the city, she has tons of resources just even to do her job. Sure. And she's got all this, this great infrastructure around her and she's got, like we said, just the reality of what is available to one in a huge metropolis. But on the other side of the coin, uh, when she goes out into the forest, into this very small community, she finds a world where you don't necessarily have these things at your fingers. You might be reaching out to U.S. Border Patrol for one thing or U.S. Forest Service for the other. Sure. And there's a, a sense of community there that she wouldn't have back in her old career. So um, especially what she was dealing with in her personal life, I, I was kind of mean to her, Dan. I really, I, I didn't give <laughs> her one challenge. I gave her all sorts of challenges. Uh, but, but, but again, from a psychological standpoint, I, I thought that was really really interesting to delve into. I agree. And so one quick caveat is Kate needs a vacation on a private island without anyone else. She has to go on her own because she can survive. So of that I'm positive. So, so when I think that when I read uh, an author's work and we're talking about something that's very psychologically driven, um, I think it would be easy and unfair so I'm going to give an opinion of an author to take a small town situation. I find it very easy for people to make fun of that. And what I found is you did not do that. You took Kate being in this small town situation. And while she was accustomed to doing work one way, she knew she needed to fit in. And you gave her a cast of characters or people that she worked with that you as an author respected. And I appreciated that. Um, give us a little feeling of where she is and some of the other people, just whomever you want to highlight. Well, she ex the main 
town that she's in doesn't exist up in the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, there was a variety of reasons why I chose to do that. Um, most of which is those are small communities up there. And I didn't want, um, I didn't want people to feel like, well, is this us? And does this represent us in this way? So uh, I decided to start fresh. And there's, there's, you know, geographic references to things mm -hmm. that are real. There are places that are real. Um, you will not find my Kate's kind of partner in this is the local sheriff. He's the local sheriff of a county that doesn't exactly exist. <laughs> uh, but uh, so the sheriff is is one of those such folk uh, who's a very strong, brilliant guy. But he has, as we all do, he has his own personal challenges. So throughout the story, uh, you will see places where he has some come to Jesus moments about how he's interacting with Kate or the case, or maybe even some of his other team members. And one of my other uh, favorite characters in the story was the coroner. And I didn't realize until I got into this world of, uh, of researching all of this during the first book, uh, I realized that medical examiners don't exist in every city and coroners don't necessarily exist in every city. It depends on your city, your county, all of these different things. And I learned that at the time when I was writing my first book, that in many places in the country, there were no standards for what kind of background you had to have in order to be a coroner. So you could literally be, you know, the, the fifth grade teacher at the local elementary school and just become the coroner and really not have that knowledge. So I wanted to have a coroner who had extensive knowledge who was in a position where she had inherited a lot of money. She didn't need the job anymore, but the job needed her. And so Mildred is her name. She ended up being one of my favorite characters in the book. And so far, it seems like readers share the same view of her. Uh, very strong lady. And, and she's an artist, too. And she gives up her dream of being an artist in some ways to, to still keep her hand in the mix and, and still do what she can for victims and for her community. Mildred was lovely. She really was. She's she's the person you really want to have lunch with, invite out for drinks at night or whatever. She's solid, which was yes. a, a lovely read. Um, I do want to, to mention one thing that you mentioned. Um, you know, we live in a we live in a wonderful country. But if your coroner was the dog catcher, there's a problem. And, and I don't think that uh, Marie Sutro and Dan White will fix this country's problems <laughs> in this conversation. But, you know, sometimes I do think, I think, wow, is anyone thinking? I mean, if if someone is a coroner, they, they often are called on to give a cause of death. If you have no medical background, how will you know what it was? I mean, obviously, if an anvil falls on someone's head, that was probably the cause of death. But a lot of other things happen in life that might require a coroner. And I would like one that was uh, ready at the go, you know, but uh, maybe not everybody thinks that way, Marie. <laughs> and I, I understand, you know, there's evolving standards on this. And there's a lot of organizations who are trying to, to help the process. Um, and it's come, you know, light years from where it was when I first started. But I remember when I came across that and I thought, wait a minute, are, 
I reread it and reread it and I talked to some other people and they said, oh yeah, that's what it is. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I mean, I, so you're saying I could become a coroner? I shouldn't be a coroner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really shouldn't be a coroner. Now, so, I'd, I'd rather you stay an author. If thank you. you. Thank in favor you. of that. So, so it, does Kate have another adventure coming? She does. The right. third book in the series is called Dark Reckonings. Right. And uh, I would like to say that Kate gets her time on the island in Dark Reckonings, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I I have a feeling not, but I'm gonna still keep I'm gonna still keep advocating for Kate to get a vacation. But she she sort of took a vacation to go deal with her mother in this book, and that didn't work out either. So I think she's almost better off without vacations. If this is what they turn into, maybe so. And I also know personally that you have uh, you're creating a new podcast, which will be out soon. What is it called? It is called Twisted Passages, and it uh, focuses on what we talked about, which is my passion, psychological thrillers. I love that. Congratulations. And so now that sort of leads into, do you have a website or social media you would like to share so we can be ready for your next book and your podcast? Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. My website is mariesutro.com, and I am on uh I guess it's not Twitter anymore. I think it's X, right? And Facebook and Instagram as Marie Sutro. Oh, well, that seems to be pretty easy. Very straightforward. <laughs> Try to keep it that way where we can, right? Absolutely. Once again, the book is Dark Obsessions. It's by Marie Sutro. Thank you so much for joining me. Ooh, let's do that again. Thank you so much for joining me, Marie. <laughs> and thank you for having me, Dan. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.